passage. Um, we're continuing in our Faith in Action series through the book of James. Um, we're going to be in chapter 3 this morning, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Thanks, Cindy. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for just how incredibly practical uh, and uh, relevant it is to our lives as we consider today the topic of, of our words, uh, the power of our words. Would you give us your spirit as we seek to understand it and uh, learn from what you would have for us today? Give me your spirit, I ask, as I, as I seek to teach uh, what you have here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome to Current. My name is David. I'm the pastor here. Uh, our words matter. I mean, we, we know this. Words have great potential for harm as they have great potential for uh, good. I was reading an online post uh, recently that was uh, this gal kind of reflecting on the power of words in her life, and she was talking about two instances where words just really impacted the course of her life, just kind of changed its, 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 its trajectory. And in each case, the words that she uh, was noting uh, like numbered less than about 10 uh, in the first instance, she had a friend who had betrayed her, and so when she finally had the opportunity to kind of come back to this friend, uh, she, she asked them why the, that they had betrayed her, and her friend uh, said to her, uh, it's because you are, quote, a hard person to love. Like, man, have you ever, that's, that, she, she was reflecting on that and saying, man, that, that had really impacted her life. The words had really stuck, had really kind of stayed with her, admittedly in, in far greater ways than she would have otherwise had wanted in her life. Uh, and then she was talking about another instance where somebody had uh, said some really uh, good things to her that also really impacted her. So she had this other friend uh, who had always said to her that Christians are fakes, you know, they're just, you know, Christians are just, you know, that's, that's the kind of Christians that I know. And uh, uh, this friend said of her, she said, but there's something different about you. There's something that can't, I can't put words to other than it has to be a, quote, God thing. And as a Christian, she was ecstatic on these words. She was just like, my goodness, these words, that, that someone can see Jesus in me? Uh, it, this simple statement uh, really impacted her life and, and, and took it in ways that, that otherwise her life wouldn't have gone in. 
I wonder how many times, uh, how many, how many times people have spoken into our lives where whether it's just the the, the instance where we've just held it and it's, it's been a lot of pain for us over the years. Maybe years ago someone said something to you, or maybe in your childhood someone said something to you, and you can't shake it. It's really impacted you. And I wonder if there are times where somebody said something really amazing into your life, maybe a word of encouragement, maybe just a praise or a word of affirmation that really helped your life be where it is today, maybe influencing even like your career decision or other life course. Words matter. We know this. They're life changers. They build and they destroy. But if we know this, why is it then that we often, all too often, uh, live unmindful of this reality? Uh, how is it that we often fail to take into account the weight of our words before they form on our lips? Uh, if you're like me, there are plenty of things that you've said over the years uh, that you regret saying. But as I think about the power of words in my life, especially as, as a husband to my wife, as a father to my children, let alone as a pastor, as a, as a neighbor, as, as whatever it might be, uh, the, the power of words is great in our lives and this text here is really helping us understand why our words matter, so that we'll take action now. Um, James is helping us see that we need to learn to watch what we say so that we don't cause more harm, serious harm to others, or ourselves even, um, so that we'll actually use words the way they're ultimately intended to be used to bring life and goodness. So we're going to be looking at why words matter under three headings. The first heading we're going to see here is that... Uh, we're going to see the destructive power of words. And this comes up a number of places in the text, but verse 6 is as good as any to kind of bring it out. James says, The tongue is a fire, a a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. I love how James is never at a loss for colorful language. Um, Our words are fire, he's saying. If you've lived in California for any length of time, you know the destructive power of fire. In fact, it wasn't just but a few months ago that we had the worst fire in California history, the most deadly, the most destructive in the campfire up in Paradise, which, by the way, my, my brother was, was in, and they, they no longer live there. They, they're moving to Texas. Um, listen to how crazy it was. It burned for 17 days. It took 85 lives. It scorched over 153,000 acres and destroyed almost 19,000 structures, most of which were residential homes. Um, so, by the way, thank you so much, church family, for giving into the impact fund that we do at the end of the year. That allowed us, uh, when, when that happened, to quickly provide uh, some relief and give, give into some of the efforts there. But it was a very destructive fire. And do you know how it got started? We're actually not entirely sure, but most signs indicate that it was a malfunctioning piece of equipment. Just a little spark that, after a little bit of time, got out of control, way out of control. James is saying it's this way with our words. Our words can easily cause great harm. All it takes is a spark. All it takes is a word or two. All it takes is maybe a sentence before things can get out of control. Um, It's pretty incredible to think about the power of our words, whether spoken from our mouths, penned to paper, or posted on the internet. Uh, Words can just have incredible, incredible effect on people's lives. And you guys watch Jimmy Kimmel Live? You know, his uh, late night show. Have you seen his segment on uh, celebrities read mean tweets about themselves? I have mixed feelings about it. It's, it's entertaining. It's entertaining. It's funny. I always feel like kind of weird afterwards, though, because, I mean, the whole thing is these, he, he brings on celebrities and he records them in, in his studio or whatever, 
and he shows them reading mean tweets about themselves, usually to the tune of REM's Everybody Hurts in the background as they read these, these tweets about themselves. And it's, you, you know how it goes. They, they read a tweet about themselves, and um, it's pretty clear they haven't read these tweets before because you're getting a genuine kind of reaction from them. And the camera will linger on them. So like after someone says something, you know, the, the tweet is something about their acting skills or lack thereof or, you know, just making fun of them in some way, the camera will stay on them. And most times out of, out, out, out of, uh, out of, the, out of every occasion, they will come back and say, so usually like, they'll cuss and they'll have to censor it out or they'll come back and say, no, you stink at acting or whatever. It's just, that's the whole point. But every once in a while, every once in a while, there'll be a celebrity, bless them, oh my goodness. You can see that they're getting ready to kind of own the part, come back with their quib, whatever they're going to read, they're going to do it. And yet, they read theirs, and it's like it cuts past all of that, pierces through all of that. I remember one person, one celebrity reading one of these mean tweets. I was like, oh, my goodness, looks like I'm getting ready to cry on national television. And I thought, man, I wouldn't blame them. Uh, it's amazing to think about the power of words where we can just sit down at a computer stream, type out a few, you know, 15 words or so, send it off into cyberspace, and, in, you know, impact someone's life. It's incredible to think about. Or think about all the Facebook posts that we just throw out there. We're not really thinking about how it's going to come across to who, whoever it's going to come across to. Um, our, our words have real destructive power. But here's the thing also about fire is it spreads indiscriminately. Um, think of it this way. Imagine coming home after a long day of work and, you know, you're going to de- decompress, you're going to vent, you just start spewing it out to your roommate, to your, you know, your, your spouse, whatever. And, you know, you're just, I hate my coworker. They're so stupid. They never, he never gets his work done. And, you know, you just kind of go off on that. You know, what are we saying to that person who's not even, like, involved? We're just kind of venting to. I mean, hopefully they're mature and they handle it well. And I'm not saying we don't decompress. But we could almost be saying to them, showing them, hey, it's okay to belittle others. Hey, it's okay to talk down about others. Or think about the impact that this has on our kids at the dinner table or in the back seat of our cars. I was driving the other day, and somebody just like, my son was in the back in his booster seat, and someone just like full-blown cut us off. And it was the kind of cutting off with also the, the brake lights on. It was just really scary. It was bad, the whole, whole lane. And um, really, I, I, like, the words were coming out of my mouth, and then I heard them from the back. Come on, dude. It was, weird. it was a really weird moment because I was getting ready to say those words and I'm like, I'm so mortified because that's not how my son talks. So many things were going on in my head in that moment. I was just like, okay, first of all, I'm glad that those are the words that come out in that moment. It could be, could be worse. But the other thing that was going through my head was like, oh my goodness, how much is this little guy, and you know, my other one, like picked up and is saying all over the place, pastor says, you know, all that kind of stuff. I feel like that's a lesson all parents are doomed to learn awkwardly, that your, parents, your kids are picking up a lot, right? I mean, this is just, fire spreads indiscriminately. When we think about our kids, when we think about those around us, what, our words have a lot greater impact on those around us than, than, than we realize, but what's more, James says, is actually our words uh, impact ourselves in greater ways than, than we realize. Uh, look here at uh, verse 6 again. He says that the tongue corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. Uh, you know what movie conveys this brilliantly? That great work of art, Mean Girls. Have you ever seen Mean Girls? The only reason I know this movie is because Cindy likes it. Um, <laughs> um, it's the only reason why I know this example for you. 
I like Mean Girls. It's a good movie. Uh, so this, this movie, if you've seen it, if you haven't, it's about a girl named Caddy. Okay, she's she's raised in the African jungle by two zoologist parents, and uh, she's just she's homeschooled. She's a great, kind-hearted, sweet, sweet girl. Um, but then they move back in her high school years to uh, the U.S., and she's thrusted into American public schools. That's an entirely different jungle of its of its own sorts, right? And it's the classic, you know, click scene there in the lunchroom. You got the preps, you got the jocks, you got you know, the nerds, and of course you have the plastics. Um, and the, the plastics really are the mean girls. They're the popular ones. They're the ones who are just out there gossiping, lying. They're, they wear pink on Wednesdays. Um, and they just, they're out there, just, they're just terrible, okay? And they, they leverage their popularity. You know, they're just, they're just mean, right? So here's what happens. So, so Caddy befriends some folks. She, she enters one of the, like, out crowd, right, the normal people, um, and that group of friends is like, okay, you know what? You need to infiltrate the plastics because they have their eye on you. You're pretty. You can, you can get, get into that group. So she's like, okay, I'm going to do that. So she starts to walk the walk of the plastics, you know, wear the part and all that sort of thing. And she starts to kind of put down others, try to, 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 try to you know, garner uh, their attention and, and become one of them. And at first, it's so clear she's just doing that. And she doesn't really mean it, but the movie just really does a good job of showing this transformation over time of how her actions, how who she is, follows with what she's saying. Um, by the end of the movie, really when you hit rock bottom before the, the movie starts to resolve itself, she actually even ends up betraying her own friends in just a horrible way. They didn't deserve it. Um, but it, it does a really good job of showing us that our, our lives, who we are, our character, really do follow the words that we speak. Um, so, so James is saying that our words has great potential for destructive power. Um, we need to pay attention to it. So the question then becomes, well, what's, what's the source? Where does this come from? Um, what's the cause? Bad company? You know, bad news? A bad upbringing? A bad night's sleep? James says, no, no, uh, it's that, that would be too superficial. Uh, let's look at the next, next thought here. Uh, that is the revealing nature of our words. Look at verses 9 through 12. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, he says. And with, with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James's point here is pretty straightforward. He's saying, by its water, you, we know a spring. By its fruit, we know a tree. And by its speech, we know a heart. Fresh water, it's freshwater spring. Salt water, salt spring figs, it's a fig tree. Poisonous words, look at verse 8, is a poisonous heart. Uh, Jesus says it this way in Matthew. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, the revealing nature of of our words is that they expose the heart. Have you ever thought of it that way? Have you ever thought that, that our words can expose who we are? Uh, imagine if you had a recording of everything you said, you know, in, in the, in, you know even, even behind the scenes and in private, just available to anyone and everyone, and that they were going to listen to it. Like, how would you feel about that? Boy, that would not be fun. Um, it seems to me that the words that we say behind closed doors are actually more indicative of who we are than what we say in public, whether good or bad. So, for instance, let's take, have you ever, have you ever you know, been in a conversation with somebody and, you know, they were talking about someone or something, and then later that night, you just kind of, it kind of hits you like, oh my goodness, I bet they talk about me that way. 
You ever had that kind of thought? Like, what, what's happening in that case? It's kind of like trust, uh, respect maybe, credibility erodes a little bit. Or think about it on the, on the flip side. Have you ever talked to somebody who, the way that they talk about something or someone, because they handle it with such integrity and with such care that you feel like you can trust them with more. You, you, you do want to talk to them and, and you feel safe in that way. Um, words expose the heart. They reveal what's going on behind the, the scenes and, and, and who we are. And in this text, we see James calls out two heart-level tendencies that we have. The first one uh, we find in verse uh, 9 and 10. And by the way, as we look at these, these heart tendencies that James is calling out here, keep in mind that he's writing to Christians specifically. I think these things uh, apply to every, every person, Christian or not, but it's interesting to think about this when he's, when he's writing specifically to Christians. Look at the first call out he has here, uh, found in verses 9 and 10 again. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Do you see what he's exposing here? What heart tendency, what character you know, that, we, that, that comes out uh, that our words reveal here? It's hypocrisy of course. It's like going to, to church Sunday morning. He's saying, you singing, getting our praise on, uh, maybe experiencing a little bit of a spiritual high, but later that night, we're talking ill towards somebody. You know, we're, we're putting someone down. But James is saying that's hypocrisy because when you, when you and I do that, uh, we, we are failing to realize that all people, men and women alike, are created in the likeness of God. So we, when we belittle others, we're belittling their creator. When we demean them, we're demeaning their creator. That's hypocrisy, James says. Here's the other heart-level call-out that our words can reveal. In verse 5, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. James is saying here, our words reveal self-righteousness. Because that's what's happening when we make boasts, right? We're making comparisons. Um, Listen to how pastor and author Larry Osborne put it in his book uh, titled Accidental Pharisees. He says, our spiritual comparisons are incredibly biased, We have an amazing ability to compare things in a way that causes us to come out on top. And when we come out on top, it's hard not to look down on people who don't measure up. It's at this point that pride becomes particularly dangerous. Isn't that true? Um, Have you ever been in a group of friends where the conversation has just kind of moved into the direction of just rifting, uh, you know, just ripping on how someone or others, uh, you know, say, set their priorities or how they, you know, approach or don't approach life in this way or that? Aren't these conversations really at the end of the day, aren't you glad we're not like those people type conversations? And what James is calling out, he's saying to Christians especially, he's like, he's like how much more do we need to be aware of this, recognize it, and make sure that we're living uh, not in this manner. We're using our words differently. Um, so there's the destructive power of words. We've, we've seen the, the revealing nature of words. So what do we do about it? Um, I want to consider with you now the healing potential of words and get really practical with you before we, we kind of resolve some tension here uh, that I see in the text. Um, because James, what, what's James doing here? He's talking about the why, why words matter. But we can find some hows here, how, we, how we're to live this out. Here's two takeaways that, that I see um, as I've been mulling over this text. One, I want to watch what I say in private. I feel like James has been, you know, you start to dig into what he's saying. He's helping me understand that the way that I've been seeing my words is, 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 is impacting things in far greater ways than just, you know, the more obvious. You know, how I usually, at the end of my day, I'm usually reviewing in my mind words that I'm saying in public. Like, oh, how did I talk to that individual? How did I, what did I, you know, how did that come across? Am I reviewing my words in private? Have you ever thought of it that way? I haven't. 
Like how much more important might that be? Because that's where this all starts, thinking about watching what we say in private. Because what we say in private is not only a litmus test to help us understand how we're doing in all of this, it's also a litmus test showing us how, who, how we are doing as people, who we are in our, in our character. So we want to watch what we say in private. And then here's the second thought, is I, I want to speak life. You know, if, if, if what James is saying here is there's a lot of destructive power in words, the, the, the reverse of that is also true. There's a lot of life-giving power in our words. Um, the, the Proverbs 18 puts it this way, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. But here's the thing about speaking life. We've got to step into that. We can't just like, you know, be proactive about not saying bad things. We also need to be proactive in st- stepping into and speaking life into other people. Uh, one of the great advantages of preparing a message like this over, over a given week is I have time to marinate on it, right? And so, um, you know, I'm thinking about it. I'm trying to apply it to my life. And uh, I was walking my little, my little girl to a daycare from the parking lot. She's holding my hand, which I just love. I just never want to lose that. But we're just walking, you know, a few yards, whatever, to her, her daycare center. And I was just like, you know what? Here's an opportunity to speak life into this little one. And so I said, Maddie, do you know that mommy and daddy just love you? You know, do you know how proud we are of you? You know, when your teachers say that you, you know, you're good at sharing and that you help around with others and you, you clean up, which doesn't always translate into the home, but... I'm speaking life right now, so I'm just like, you know, that, how much that makes mommy and daddy just love you and just makes us so happy. How do you think she responded in that moment? You know, a little four-year-old, she's just like, you know, she gets shy, big smile. It's exactly how you know she responds. And I'm not saying that example to kind of pat myself on the back. I'm actually saying that as examples like, man, how much more do I need to lean into opportunities like that? But how many times are we walking with, say, a child or with our friend in conversation that, boy, if we just took the effort just to speak some life, I would just have such incredible impact. Um, those are my two takeaways. I want to watch what we say in private. I want to speak life. And you get real practical when you think about what James is saying here. But we, we need to resolve some tension here in the text because James is a realist, okay? We can't end the sermon here because we wouldn't be faithful to the text. If we ended the sermon with, okay, here's the point, avoid saying bad things and say good things, we actually miss what James is saying entirely. And actually, by his own admission, uh, is saying it's impossible to do that. Do you see in verses 2 through 7? To me, these are really the key verses for understanding what's going on here. Uh, Verses 2 and 7 say this. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. And then verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. I love how James is putting himself in there. I mean, what's James saying here? He's not saying, okay, you know what? You guys just need to graduate into better Christianity or you need to graduate into more mature personhood or whatever, I don't know. He's not saying that you just need to muster it up. In fact, what he's saying is in our own strength, this is all impossible. The more we understand our hearts, the more we understand how our words reveal our hearts, the more we'll understand that this is all impossible in our own right, which means he's pointing to outside help. And if you've been here as we've been going through the book of James, you know that behind everything that he's saying is, of course, the gospel. The gospel is the key to actually understanding and living out uh, these, uh, this, these thoughts, understanding the power of words and living in a way that's, that's life-giving, in, in a way that nothing else can compare. It's the gospel. You know, today we've been talking about uh, words, 
And uh, did you know this, that Jesus is actually in the beginning of John's account, as he, one of his disciples wrote uh, a gospel account we have in here. You know, in, in John's account, he starts by describing Jesus literally as the Word. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then if you look down at verse 14 in that same text, I think it'll be on the board for you. The, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory, uh, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Do you realize how astounding of a claim this is? It's, it's wonderful. We've been saying essentially that our words reveal who we are. And what John is saying is if you want to understand who God is, who the word is, just look at these stories of Jesus. You will understand, even get to fully know who he is. And what two adjectives does he use to describe Jesus, the word, become flesh? Grace and truth. I love that about Jesus. You look at any story of Jesus, and his words were always filled with grace as they were filled with truth. There's no better story, in my humble opinion, that gets us across than when the Pharisees, that is the religious leaders, brought before him the woman caught in the act of adultery. And by the way, it's important to note that those Pharisees, those religious leaders, had actually trapped that gal, set the whole thing up by uh, setting Jesus up, getting the whole thing. The dude who was involved in that is, is not even on the scene, but they bring, they bring this gal in front of Jesus, and they say, okay, we've got him. Everybody knows Jesus to be this gracious, loving guy, but he's also a guy who's, who's, who, who, who the truth matters to him. He's just, what's he going to do here? How is he going to be gracious when it says in the law, you have to stone people for doing such things? Let's see what he does. And how did the word respond in that moment? It's brilliant. In fact, I can't think of any better response to anything in all of any, any literature or histor historical documents that I've come across. Jesus said in that moment, okay, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Grace and truth. What could they do in response to that? How could they respond? It tells us that they, starting with the oldest and then to the youngest, dropped their stones and left. What had Jesus just done for them? He had revealed to them their hearts. And by the way, a gracious way. Jesus could have skewered those guys. You know what I'm saying? Like they had just set him up, set up adultery, done all that. He could have just torn into them, you punks. But instead had a gracious, loving response even to them. And then when this gal came to, her, came to him, they, were, they all left. He said these words, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Grace and truth. Go and sin no more. That's truth. That's justice. That's Jesus saying, hey, it's not that that act, you know, what your lifestyle as a prostitute doesn't matter. It matters. God's called you into something greater. And, and with his help, go and live into that. Like, move away from that. But neither do I condemn you. That is grace. That is, that is him saying, hey, I love you. I don't judge you. So how then could Jesus offer such grace to not only that prostitute, but also to those uh, Pharisees, if they would receive it, but also to, by the way, ourselves. When you think about the words that we say and what it actually reveals about our own hearts, that's what the gospel is. That's what, that's what Jesus did for us on the cross, dying for the sins that we deserve a penalty for, grace and truth, which means the things that you and I say we need to take very seriously. God takes very seriously. It's not just wave your hand and don't think about it. No, we need to take it very seriously. We need to own them. More on that in a minute. But it also means that you can receive forgiveness for that. 
if you're sitting here today, and as we've been talking about all of this, something has just been coming to your mind, words that prob- maybe you have said to somebody that haven't been very loving, that haven't been very kind, that have impacted them in ways more than you would wish they had impacted, or maybe worse than that, you had wished for it, but you're now feeling, understanding the remorse of that. It means that Jesus forgives you of that. You can give that to him. You can release that to him, even as he calls you to love and not just say, it's not a big deal. Uh, Grace and truth. In other words, what James is saying is we need to all look to the one who is actually only ever able to do this. I love that James at the end says, we all stumble. What's he doing? He's showing us the need for outside help in all of this. He's showing us the most healing potential our words could ever do, and that is point to the word and our, our, our need for outside help. Perhaps my favorite conversations that have come up as we started this church have come from people who said, you know what, Christians are idiots, Christians don't understand. You know, I love that because we get to have a real conversation. I don't love being called idiots, um, but, I, but I, love, I love a real conversation. You know, it's like, hey, that's great. We get to, let's, let's talk about this. But let me ask you, in light of what James is saying here, in light of the gospel, what's the response to that? Let's say you're a Christian here. Let's say someone says to you, hey, Christians are idiots. The natural human response to that is what? To get defensive. Or maybe even worse, to become indignant, right? Do you see how the gospel just, just takes away that fire that might come from our lips as we respond, Christian friends? What does the gospel tell us to say in that moment? Christians don't have it figured out. They're this, this. They're hypocrites. They're self-righteous. The gospel says to say, you're right. We all stumble. We are self-righteous. We do make bows. I make bows. My words aren't the most helpful all the time, and that's why I need Jesus. That's why Jesus came. That's the whole point of all this. I love that James says, modeling in his own words, this Christian leader who's just saying, hey, we all stumble. We need help from the one who has done this for us. One last example by way of closing. Um, not too long ago, my dad was in a, a conversation with one of our good and longtime family friends. Uh, her name's Judy, her husband's Bob, just really loving people. I mean, we're talking their whole lives were, were spent, are spent living for others, serving in their church, doing a, their own business for the sake of helping and leveraging that business to help others, caring for others, very mature people, very just, that, that's the kind of people they are. Well, she was catching up with my dad and my mom, and she was just sharing how she had real trouble with one of her kids, stretching back 20 years, actually, excuse me. She loves her son to death, but for whatever reason, she says harsh things to this particular child. Uh, and she was just saying to my dad, I-, I can't help it. I don't even want to say these harsh things to him, but they just come out. This very loving, kind person I just think the world of. The words just come out, and as a relationship with this child, the relationship takes steps backwards. You know what their conclusion was? You know what her conclusion was in that conversation? She's like, oh my goodness. I need the gospel. I need the cross. I need. You know, it's so easy for her, she was saying, in that situation with her son who's just gotten himself into a bunch of things that she could just point out this, 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 and this. It's so easy for her in that situation to focus on that when she realized that actually her contribution has been not life, has been things that haven't been helpful to him. She needed the gospel. She needed to see that this starts with her receiving God's love and acceptance for her in spite of herself. It starts with her. And then when she can, 
with his help, having a conversation to the effect of, you know what, son, I'm sorry. I love you, and I haven't been getting this right. My words have just been not what I would want them to be. You know, I stumble in this. Do you, do you, do you see the language? Do you see the antidote that the gospel is for us with our words? Uh, do you see how uh, the gospel is really, uh, you know, a dose of water to the flames? The wonderful news is we get to trust and believe in the one who is making all things new, including our tongues, including our words. And the healing potential of our words is to join him in doing just that. But it starts in our own hearts. It starts with recognizing that. You know, I, I want to watch what I'm saying in private. I want to I try to step in and speak life. Um, but I just, man, I can't help but think the good that can come out of this if we just start to think about our words a little bit, re- rely and receive what God's done for us, and speak life into people around us. This week, even, um, what might that look like? Are there any words that you feel you need to share with somebody after today? Uh, any words of healing or life that you can offer this week to someone? There most definitely are. Um, but here's my prayer by God's grace that it would be said of us uh, in increasing fashion from time to time what it was they said of our Lord, uh, this is in John's account, no one ever spoke the way this man does. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the word. Thank you for coming and making your, your dwelling among us and dying for us that we might receive forgiveness life, and love in his name. Lord, we don't deserve it. And our words would be the quickest to point out that we don't deserve it. But we, we say thank you. And we ask for your help that where our words have caused uh, harm, pain to others, would you help us first of all receive forgiveness there that we need to receive? But would you also help us go and bring healing and life there? And then Father, where there are opportunities where we can speak life into somebody uh, that we would otherwise have missed an opportunity to really just encourage, strengthen someone, maybe say something to help someone through a rough patch, whatever it might be, would you help us to step into that as you stepped into that for us? We love you. Thank you for words and the gift that they are. Help us to steward them for you and for your love. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.